Now, I don't want to talk to you tonight a little bit about prayer, and I'm excited about the prayer meeting that launches. John, am I right? Can I say it? Tomorrow? All right, everybody say tomorrow. Tomorrow. (laughs) I was weak. Tomorrow? Tomorrow at noon. And so I want to talk about that. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark um, chapter 10. We'll go there. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we love you so much, and I thank you for this house, this shining light in Ionia. Thank you for the faithfulness, God of John, Lisa, and the team here. We thank you, Lord, even as all these young people led us in worship, how awesome, where there are churches across America where uh, the young people are not leading in worship. They are nowhere to be found. I thank you for this house that's raising up the next generation of worshipers. God, we ask that tonight the fire of God would burn brightly in our hearts. We ask that we would possess a greater desire to be a people of prayer. I pray that you would work supernaturally. God, beyond what human words could ever do, I ask that there would be a spark, a supernatural spark in our hearts. We pray that you would do something unique. We ask your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. I'm not sure if we're in Spartan country or Wolverine country. I don't know. Uh, That's the first feedback I got. That's great. All right. So I hear Spartan here, Wolverine here. All right. So uh, I I may never be invited back if I tell you this, but uh, I went to the University of Oklahoma. I'm a Sooner. And so, uh, yeah, there's pain on the front row, a a, a disdain and looking away and... um, and our, our, our head coach for years was a guy named Bob Stoops. And uh, my wife and I had two little kids and we were in the Miami airport and I looked over to my left and I saw off in the distance a whole sea of crimson and cream said OU. And right there was our head coach, Bob Stoops. My wife and I were on vacation and I saw him and I looked at her and I said, Renata, I know that we've got two little kids. I know that right now is probably not the moment you want your husband to disappear on you but I've got to go talk to Bob Stoops. And she said, you really going to go talk to a stranger? I said, yes. And um, I walked up uh, to Bob Stoops and he was on his phone. He was the head coach of the football team. And, and I don't know exactly what I expected this moment to be like. Uh, I'm not, I don't know exactly how I thought it was going to go down, but, but it's kind of like when you have so much familiarity with someone, it almost feels like you know him. If you would have asked me if I knew him, I would have said, no, I don't know him. But but deep down, I knew a lot. I mean, I knew, I mean, I knew that he had coached at Florida. I knew that his his hero was Steve Spurrier. I knew that he, you know, I knew he had, I knew that he had two brothers named Mike and Mark, and I knew he had twin sons, and I, I knew a lot about Bob Stoops. I'd seen him on TV, and I'd read articles. I'd read about him on online. I, I mean, almost every Saturday in the fall, I'd seen him and watched him, and I could give a lot of language about Bob Stoops. And so I waiting there patiently, and he got off his cell phone, and I looked at him. And I said, "Hey." Good game, Coach Stoops. They had just lost the night before. Uh, good game. I said, we'll get him next year. It was an awkward kind of silence for about a second. He looked at me. Mind you, I'm a grown man. I have a wife and children. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, thanks, son. And he pats me on the head. Boop, boop. <laughs> and in that moment, it became extremely clear to me, I don't know Bob. (laughs) Like, I know a lot about Bob. 
I can tell you his wife's name is Carol, and I can tell you. I've seen Google images of his house. I, I, I know a lot about his coaching career. I know a lot about Bob. I've, I've been able to articulate some things about Bob, but I don't know Bob, and Bob doesn't know me. And, and I think in this whole journey of walking with God, it's really easy for us to know a lot about God, get in the midst where we're doing a lot of stuff for God, have a lot of activities that we would say at the root, we think we're doing a task for God. But if you get down to the very core of why you were made, you're made for relationship. And it's really easy over time, not early on, not necessarily that you'd articulate it, but as weeks turn to months and then years and then even decades of being a Christ follower and attending church, it's really easy to slowly over time have a lot of information, but not a lot of relationship. And tonight where I want us to go is to reignite that decision that fire that uh, apart from all the tasks I may do for God, and I hope you do a lot. I hope you jump in and you serve. And I hope that you do great things in ministry. I hope that laboring for the cause of Christ comes out of an overflow of relationship. So I'm not talking about one or the other. I'm talking about proper order. I'm talking about that you were made to know God. When we read about the, in the very beginning in the garden, You've got Adam and Eve walking with God and they know God, you're made for relationship. And I've worked with so many people where they say, what, what am I supposed to do for God? And there's a bigger question than what are you supposed to do for God? The big question is, what are you made for? Why do I exist? You're made to know God, that's why you exist. You're made for relationship, like above everything. And I love the task of ministry. I'm a pastor's kid. I've been in ministry my whole life. I started a prayer meeting when I was in the ninth grade, went straight into leading prayer meetings all through college, went straight into ministry. I've been doing ministry since I was 14. I'm into ministry. I like the ministry thing, but I want to tell you this. The ministry thing is not the primary end. The primary end is relationship. You're made to know God. Where this thing goes is relationship with him forever and ever. So it starts in the garden with relationship. And even when you read Revelation, no matter what your eschatology is, no matter how you read the book of Revelation, what all of us know is at the very end, once every, once the global discipleship project is complete, once the enemy has been forever cast out, it all ends, not in a task, it all ends in you in relationship with God forever. So it starts with relationship. And yeah, we're in the middle of this great opportunity where we have been called to go make a difference and we're called to reach our cities and we're called to be a shining light and we've got a task. But once it's all done, once, you, once, once all of human history is over, in eternity, forever, you will be in relationship with God. The thing that you're made for is relationship. Imagine the sadness that you have if in your 80 or 90 years on planet Earth, if in the midst of all of the tasks, all of even the things that you do for God, you slowly don't know him. Like you slowly distance in relationship. Tonight, the drum that I wanna beat is this, to get close to him, to know him, to be with him, to put 
prayer at the center of who you are, that relationship. Yeah, but am I supposed to lead? Yep, still lead. Am I supposed to serve? Yep, still serve. I'm not talking about pushing those things aside, but I am talking about those being an overflow of a spiritually vibrant relationship. You're made to know God. I just told you that I've got four kids and they're kind of the delight of my life. I mean, I just spent about 45 minutes uh, FaceTiming with my son, Dawson, uh, just before I came here. And he's, he, right now, I mean, it's kind of a crazy season because he is so excited to be taller than me. And, and it's, it, he is, he's really into fashion, which has not been good for me because he now takes all of my clothes um, and, and they're all gone. I, I, I no longer can find them. And, 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 I, and he's the delight of my life. I mean, I really enjoy him. And, and then my little girl, Liv, who suddenly now at 13 is just like her mom. She is, she, my, my son Dawson loves every stage. I mean, he, he's a showboat, my, my daughter Liv. She is, she, I mean, she, she does not wanna be on a stage. She has a few close friends. She's striking, strikingly beautiful and she's real quiet. She's real driven. She's on, on, the, on the top of this, of the, she has a bunk bed on, on the roof. She has a task list. So the, the first thing that she wakes up in the morning, she could start checking her tasks for the day. I mean, she is ordered, she is structured. She reminds me so much of Renata. And then I've got my little girl, Adeline Grace. And Adeline, she's 11. And of all my kids, she's just like me. She's short, she's pale, she has blonde hair, she has blue eyes, she screams all the time. Mm, girl after my own heart. When she was three years old, uh, I, we had, Dawson looks just like his mom and Olivia just looks like her mom. And, and so I've got, you know, Renata little minis in Dawson and Liv, but then out of nowhere, we get an Adeline and Adeline looks just like me. And so when she was three, I got down on one knee and I looked at Adeline and I said, Adeline, when I look at you, I see me. And Addie, three years old, put her hands on my cheeks. Daddy, when I look at you, I see you. <laughs> and, oh, I just melt. She's my, she's my little mini me. She's my little girl. And then, and then my boy Justice is nine and he's an athlete. He's kind of the tough guy in the family. And I was thinking about how much fun it is right now being a father, you know, like it's just, it's just for Renata and I, it's the delight of our lives to have these kids and, and, and imagine with me if I do everything right when it comes to being a parent. I mean, I get them in the right sports, I get them with the right education. Let's say that hypothetically, we get them all the right safety pieces for vehicles and I mean, I get the right minivan when they're, when they're babies and they don't eat any GMOs or whatever. And I mean, it's, it's, it, they eat right and, and I do all the parenting right so that I've got, they've got high test scores and uh, the right clothes and, and, and I pay for everything and, and all the work, all the tasks, everything that it takes to be a father. Let's just say that I do those tasks really well. Let's say that I get it all right. But imagine if in that window of time that they're in my home and I've got, say, 18, 19, 20 years with them, imagine my sadness if 15 years later, if I never got to know them, if I did everything right, I got all the task of parenting right, but I never knew them, I never had relationship. Imagine the sadness and the disappointment 
if I got every, I checked every box, but I didn't know him. Here's the reality. You're made by your creator and you're made for relationship. And there's such beauty in accomplishing the tasks that he's called you to do, the ways that he's called you to serve. But above everything, you know what he wants? He wants relationship. He wants you to be close. And my dream tonight is that in the, in the moments that we have, you can gain a renewed vision for something that you already know. I'm gonna be close to God. I'm gonna refuse to live at a distance. I'm gonna be someone that walks with him that knows God. And my dream is that there would be at the conclusion of this time together, this prayer moment where you would realign your heart and you would commit to two things. One, that you would be a person that gets alone with God and draws near to his heart every day. And number two, and this is gonna be kind of the, the fiery one, I'm gonna dream that you would gather together with saints be it at the noon prayer meeting on Thursdays at Restore or be it in a prayer meeting at your high school or your junior high or where you work and that you would contend with other saints and gather and pray. When we think of prayer, oftentimes we think that there's a specialized person out there for prayer. I want you to think not of somebody else being the prayer person in the church. I want you to ask God, God, what are you calling me to be? What does prayer look like for me? What have you called me to do? And I want you to just see that God delights in your prayers. Your prayers, say me. Yeah, in your prayers. Sometimes what we do is we think God delights in John and Lisa's prayers. I mean, after all, they're the pastors of the church and they're the, they're the ones that are doing the work of God or Maybe sometimes the enemy will come and say, well, based upon your track record, based upon your resume, based upon the way that you failed, your prayers are not delighted in. I want you to see that in the scriptures, it's clear. God delights in your prayers. Doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be the John Wesley. John Wesley who said, prayer's where the action is. You don't have to be the Charles Spurgeon who would bring people to the basement of his church every Monday night where they'd have a prayer meeting and said, this is the engine of the church. And preachers from all across Europe wanted to be a pulpiteer like Spurgeon, but he said, the prayer ministry of the church is the engine that makes it go. No, you don't have to be perfect or famous or in a high position. God delights in your prayers. No matter how weak, no matter how broken, no matter how messed up. And if God delights in your prayers, what would take place if you got a vision? He hears, he delights in, he even enjoys my prayers. One of my favorite stories in the scriptures where we see Jesus responding to a weak person's prayers is blind Bartimaeus. And if you wanna know what God the Father is like, we look at Jesus, right? God incarnate. You wanna know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Look at the way that Jesus interacts with his disciples. Look at the way that Jesus interacts with sinners. Look at the way that Jesus interacts with the sick. And in this story of blind Bartimaeus, there's this moment where the bottom of the bottom of society, Bartimaeus, the blind man, is not prestigious, is not high in position, but he's desperate. And he begins to call out to Jesus. I want you to see this, Mark chapter 10. 
Verse 46, then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you and throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I want you to see this. I want you to see Bartimaeus, Jesus walking by and Bartimaeus, in a place of desperation, begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many began to rebuke him. In our context, that exists today. You become the person that says, I'm gonna fast every Thursday and gather with Pastor John and, and seek God. Come in here and cry out for the city. Come here and cry out for the people in the prisons. Come in here and cry out for the young people of Ionia. Come in here and yeah, I could engage in another sandwich. I could engage in CNN. I could engage in Facebook, but I'm gonna voluntarily forego those things in order to gather with the saints to pray. And you can be sure there will be people that will rebuke you. They'll say, you're crazy. What are you doing? Stop it. Come on. You're going to waste that time? Some of it won't be about wasting time. It'll be about, you're going to cry out to an invisible God and believe that your prayers actually move God's heart? Come on. You're crazy. They rebuked him. And just like they rebuked Bartimaeus, they'll rebuke you. And here's what Bartimaeus did. So he shouted all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's my prayer. Thursdays at noon, in this very room, there would be some, come on, bring it on. Yeah, the, the city, you thought the city called you crazy when you showed up on Sunday morning to worship instead of sleeping in and watching football. Just wait till you voluntarily go without food on Thursdays. Oh yeah, you're crazy. And then even the disciples looked up and said, come on now. And Bartimaeus got this grit, this hunger. Sometimes we think that prayer is for the disciplined. Prayer usually starts with the desperate. Bartimaeus had a vision. I've heard that there's a rabbi from Galilee that heals. And there's probably a whole lot of blind men. There's a whole lot of cripples. A whole lot of people that just let Jesus pass by. But there was spiritual hunger because there was a vision on if he is who he says he is. I've heard that he heals. And out of his hunger, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. One of the best ways you can invest your time is get as close to God as possible and come before him. And in the days that you have, Psalm 39 says that your life is but a mere breath. Psalm 90, person lives 70, 80 years, Psalm of Moses. How are you gonna invest these moments? How can you invest? And here's what I wanna encourage you. If the pastor of the church says, let's gather to pray, I'm telling you, best thing you can do is not McDonald's, not Facebook, not just 
one more hour of an hourly wage, get a little Bartimaeus inside of you. God, I'm desperate for what you want to do in my city. God, I'm desperate to see the lost in this area come to know Christ. God, I, I, I want to just gather and I want to pray for our nation. I want to gather and pray for the nations of the world because far beyond what you can see, God hears every prayer. He delights in your prayers and he delights. I just want you to really get in on that. It is not just the mature that he delights in. He delights in the prayers of the weak. And someone asked me, uh, when I, I'm 42, so I'm, I'm older now and I'm, you know, used to be a kid, preacher, and someone was like asking me like, okay, so you started this church and we did prayer meetings long before we ever did church. I moved to Kansas City and just started throwing prayer meetings in my house. And in that context, someone came to me and said, when, when did you get so into prayer? And I just was like, huh, when did I get into, ah. And he was like, was it a book? I was like, no. And I remembered, you know when I got into prayer? Here's what I told him. I got into prayer when I was desperate for my friends to know God when I was 14. And we just started to gather every morning in a wood shop room and pray, go, God, God, we need you, God. And we saw this little move of God. I went to a little, I went to a public school, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, had about 1,600 kids in it, public school. And then by the, by the, by the end of ninth grade, there was... 200 and something kids gathering every morning just to pray, God, we need you. So I go, I said, you know, I don't, it wasn't a book that I read. I, I just, I just saw God work. I saw God. I had this friend that, I mean, he was a bully and he began to just, I mean, a little, literally physically abuse me and hurt me. And my dad said, David, how are you going to respond to that? I said, what do you mean? And he said, what, is, what, is, what does Jesus call you to do? I'm seventh grade, Dad. Give me a break. <laughs> no, no, no. Are you a Christ follower? Yes. Well, you're 12, but you can still respond like Christ. What does Jesus tell you to do? And I, Dad, he's, I mean, literally, he threw me in a locker. Dad, he, he hates me. I'm, no, David, how do you respond? What does Jesus tell you to do with your enemies? Pray for him. Yeah, yeah. So should we do that? All right. So I would, my dad, my dad was committed to discipling his kids. So he had the shock of his life in 1976 when he was expecting to have one. And he and my mom had three. I'm a triplet. And so, yeah, my parents were expecting to have one and Suddenly there's three. My dad began to groan in agony because he began to think about all of us going to college on the same day. And, and my, my parents named us, you know, because there's suddenly triplets that David, Dana, Deborah. Five years later, they had my brother Dan. My mom's name is Debbie. And my dad's name is Hal. And, <laughs> and, and my dad skipped forward seventh grade. How, how should we respond? I should pray for him. And so we just began to pray for him. And my dad, every Tuesday, he would take out my mom every Monday, my, me every Tuesday, Dana every Wednesday, Deborah every Thursday, and, Friday, and Dan every Friday. And he'd just take an hour. 
He just decided that if Jesus had Peter, James, and John as his disciples, if dad had triplets, then he had Peter, James, and John. And he just invest in us and help us begin to think, talk like how would Jesus respond. I'll never forget sitting there at a sonic, starting to pray for this kid. And then end of seventh grade, we always pray for this kid to come to know God. And went through the summer of seventh grade and went to the fall of eighth grade and we had six classes, public school, and this kid was not in, I mean, you never had a class with like, like two classes with the same person, but it'd be crazy to have three of your six classes. That was insane. And the first day of eighth grade, I went in and this kid was, that I'd been praying for, that had been the bully that I didn't like, that my dad made me pray for. I walked in and he was in three of my six classes. I came back and said, dad, you're not gonna believe this. He's in three of my six classes. And my dad says, what do you think God is doing? I said, God, God must hate me. (laughs) And he said, no, 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 no. We prayed for this. I said, we prayed for this? What is this, judgment? Like, this isn't isn't God. And my dad, no, 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 no. This is God at work. And I was like, all right. Next day, I went to school and the kid had gotten a schedule changed, so no longer was he in three of my classes. He was in four. <laughs> and in my fifth-hour drama class, by the end of September, the teacher had us do humorous duets, assigned he and I together. We were told we needed to get together outside of class. She handed us a script of Abbott and Costello and said, you guys are going to perform this in a month. And my dad... <laughs> December of that year, he was spending the night at my house, and he said, why, 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 why are you so kind to me when I'm such a jerk to you? I, you know, oh, I don't know, I don't know, you know. He was like a cool athlete. I was not, and I was like the kid with the mullet and braces, you know, like, and he's like, no, I know, I, I know, you're, 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 you're like, you're like a, a God kid, aren't you? And I'm like, <gasps> you know, and I said, he, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. And he goes, what do I got to do to become one? And I was like, what do you mean? You know, incredible evangelist. <laughs> He's like, I want in. I want what you got. I want that. I know you and your whole family. And I was like, oh, you know, it's like what I've been learning in VeggieTales my whole life, you know, like, oh, this is, I've been discipled by vegetables, all right, so. And eighth grade, you know, he gave his life to Christ, became my best friend, and, and then we started these prayer meetings in ninth grade and saw God move, and, and so I just began to tell this guy who began to ask these questions, you know, when, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, right, I, I started believing prayer, I started believing prayer in seventh and eighth grade. I mean, first prayer meeting was probably sitting at a Sonic with my dad. Not a very big prayer meeting. No, like, uber cool, you know, hipsters with pink guitars and skinny jeans. You know, just, just, just barren, hot Oklahoma afternoon 
with a preacher for a father that said, let's pray, let's believe God. And I, I got deep in my bones, deep in my bones, I start to believe that when we pray, God hears, God delights, God delights in your prayers. And he delighted in the prayer of a short little triplet seventh grade punk nerd kid in Oklahoma. And I don't care whether you're 95 or 15, he hears your prayers and he delights in your prayers. He delights in every prayer that you pray. In Daniel 10, I love the moment where Daniel goes to fasting and prayer 21 days and then the angel of the Lord comes and says, Daniel, from the first moment that you set your heart to understand, your words were heard, what you said. And then the angel says, and I have come in response to your prayers. I just want you to hear that. Daniel, your words were heard. I just, imagine if deep in your heart you had a conviction that every prayer you pray is heard. That every time you just crowd to God, relationship, God, I need you. God, I need you in my marriage. God, I need you. We need you at Restore, we need your presence. God, we need you and I own you. God, we're asking for the move of God in our nation. If every single time you pray, if you believed in your bones, in your heart, that he hears every prayer, how would that affect how you live? Like, what would it look like for you? Psalm 56, it says that he collects every tear that you cry in his bottle. <laughs> Jesus says that, the, the, the numbers of your hairs, that, that are, they're numbered. Like he knows the hair on your head. So he collects every tear. He knows the tears. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And I would say like the number of hairs on your head, like who cares? Like it doesn't even matter. But yet he knows how much more does he hear every prayer? If what you're made for is relationship and he's, he's told you, and invited you to have conversation and dialogue and pray. How much more does he hear every time you cry out, every prayer you pray? Romans 8 says sometimes we don't even know what to pray, so we just groan, right? It says we're just groanings. And I imagine you're driving down the road, you don't even know what to pray, and just, ah! God goes, got it. <laughs> Mark it down. Yeah, but it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, but I hear the cry of the heart ache, that God, I don't, mark it down, count it, God hears it, if that goes deep, it's one thing for it to be like philosophical, but if you look at your spiritual history in God and you go, I know he's heard every prayer, I know he's heard it every time I cry out, every prayer, every groan, that's what the angel says to Daniel, from the first moment you set your heart to understanding, your words were heard. I invite you, every prayer you pray is heard. He hears you. And then that amazing moment where he says, and I have come in response. Just play that out in your head. Human being, Daniel, praying. Angel dispatched from heaven. How? Your words were heard and I have come. It's that word in the NIV in response to your prayers. That 
is a game changer for your life. You mean to tell me that you, fill in the blank, when I pray, angels move? Daniel 10. What dignity do you possess if you as a human being cry out to God in prayer and it makes an impact? You're laboring in the spiritual realm. You possess spiritual say-so. Jesus said it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone. That's the phrase. Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. Tim who knocks, the door is open. Pushback is, yeah, but David, I've prayed and my prayers were not answered the way that I prayed. Oh, okay. Our aim is not to use God as a means to get what we want. Our aim is to live in relationship and dialogue and cry out to God and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we trust in him, he's at work. And his ways are higher than your ways. In that moment, I could have never dreamed that that kid would become my best friend. That would have not been my prayer. My prayer would have been, oh God, break the teeth of the wicked. God's ways are higher than your ways. And I want you to just see it. I love in the moment, Revelation 19 says that one day we'll stand before him and we'll go, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So you look back in human history and you won't go, God, you messed up. I prayed this in the 10th grade. I prayed this when I was 25. I prayed this when I was 37. And God, you didn't come through. That, those kind of prayers don't exist in eternity. Here's what exists in eternity. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. You'll go, no way. The all-powerful God, you used human prayers to accomplish your will. You had all power and you used my weak human prayers. He'll go, yeah, no, yeah, oh, God, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't figure out how you were sovereign and how you use my weak, broken prayers to make a difference. So I decided in my own intellect to take three steps back and not to give myself to prayer because I couldn't understand it. Gotta go, did I tell you to understand it or did I tell you to approach it like a child? Ah. You'll look at your life. No way. You use... My prayers as a seven-year-old, yeah, I told you that. That affected that and that and, oh! God, I prayed when I was 13. And that, and, oh! You were at work. Yeah, I told you that. Remember I told you, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the will be over to you. For everyone who asks receives, all who seek find. Yeah, but I wanted it to be done my way. Yeah, I know, but I'm God, you're peewee. But God, I was really smart. I had double digits on my ACT, started my own business. Come on. I, I, I thought I, had, I, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't tell you to figure it out, son. I told you to come to me like a child and ask and believe and know that I am the creator. 
I am the God of the universe. And I do hear the prayers of the saints when they cry out. And whether you're 13, 30, or 85, to cry out. I believe we'll look back and we'll go, what? Every Thursday noon prayer meeting where it, there were so many times it didn't even feel exciting. I really wanted a burger instead of a song. But I came in with those same saints and I gathered and prayed and God used that prayer. You, you, were, using, you were using weak, human, desperate people to change the world. Yeah. God, if I would have known then what I can see now, I would have given myself to prayer. I want to invite you. Get this vision. What does your life look like if you give yourself like I'm going to be a person of prayer? Like I'm made for relationship. And he delights in your prayers. Not just John and Lisa. Not just John Wesley. Not just Charles Spurgeon. Not just Andrew Murray. Not just whoever is the contemporary author that's written the most recent book on prayer. Not the people who sing on K-Love. Not just Tim Tebow and Carrie Job. You. Me, us. And it doesn't have to be all the tingles, all the feelings. It can be barren, hard. I, I'll just bet those days for Daniel, but some of those days were pretty barren. And he lived by his conviction rather than his emotion. I have this conviction when I pray. God does stuff. And whether I feel it or not, whether there's a cool hill song, th song that makes me want to sing a hallelujah, or whether it's the cold, misty basement and the only people that gathered to pray with me were weird and bad breath on there, not because of the circumstance, but because of the conviction. When I pray, God does stuff. When I cry out to God, my dream tonight is that that would grow in your heart. Not, 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 not that you would believe it for somebody else, but it would impact how you live. It would be like deep in my, my heart, deep in my bones, I believe. When I pray, God works. I'll never forget, we had a missionary come visit our church in 2004. And he looked at 600 pastors. And he showed a graph of how the prayer movement it was called Pray Through the Window in the 90s. It was this prayer movement that took place, praying for the 1040 window, which is part of the world where the most amount of people didn't know Christ. And he showed in the 90s how the, the church in America began to pray in the 90s for that part of the world. And then he showed a graph of, in his work and other parts in the 1040 window, how salvations, number of people saying yes to Jesus went up, number of churches planted went up, amount of people that were baptized went up and he said all through the 90s and he showed this graph and then he said the prayer movement ended in 2000. It was AD 2000, it ended, it stopped. And the amount of prayer for the 1040 window went away. Like some still did it, but there was not near the amount of local churches crying out to God. Is that prayer, when, prayer through the window movement actually spanned the globe and churches all around the world were praying for the unreached people's and he said, then it stopped here and saw, and he showed a graph of the work where he was at 
and in the 1040 window began to decline. And he looked at these pastors and he said, I'm a, I'm a chemist by schooling. I'm not a theologian. But I can tell you guys this. When you pray, God does stuff. And when you stop praying, we're not seeing God move near as much. And I'm just telling you, if you would go back to praying, we'd see a move of God. I just want to invite you. When you pray, God does stuff. God is at work. And there will be a day where you'll go, oh, hallelujah. It's actually the heavenly scene where we say, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Hallelujah, the God all-powerful. God, you orchestrated human history perfectly. He'll go, thanks, kid. Appreciate that. No, God, I mean, somehow you used the prayer meetings. You used your bride, saints, gathered, stood in agreement on what you wanted to do. And those prayers actually changed the world. Oh, you are awesome. Hallelujah, the Lord God, omnipotent reigns. You are awesome. Tonight, I want us to take a few minutes and turn this into a laboratory. And instead of it just being like, hey, let's hear a sermon on prayer, we intentionally did worship real short, so don't leave yet, so we could take a few moments to pray. Can you do that? Is that all right? We want to take a few moments tonight and just cry out to God. Just seek God. I want to invite you to stand with me. And would you begin just with a personal response to God? Just, would you just whisper? I want to invite you to actually use words. Sometimes when you just use prayers and you just think it's happening in your head, maybe a couple sentences and then your mind just goes off in another direction. But when you actually talk, when you actually form sentences, it forces your brain to actually work. I want to invite you to just whisper. It doesn't have to have the people around you hear you, but if you would just whisper to God and begin to just dialogue with him. Just, God, I want to be a man of prayer. God, I want to be a woman of prayer. God, I want to be someone that knows you. God, I don't want to just do the tasks. I want to know God. Just out of the overflow of whatever the Holy Spirit is highlighting in your heart tonight, would you just take a moment and would you just begin to talk to God? you tonight, you're, you're even sensing this conviction, like, I want to be close to him. I, 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 I'm the person that knows all about God, but I, I don't know him. We're not close. I can quote scriptures. I've heard many messages.